Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin, pastor here, and uh, man, it's just good to gather with you guys this morning. It's a beautiful day today, and it's just beautiful to see all of your faces and just be here and be able to hang out together, sing together, worship with you this morning, and open up God's Word now. And so uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew as we have been over the last few weeks in this sermon series called The Inverted Kingdom. And so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a few folks bring a copy of the scriptures around to you. You can go ahead and flip over to Matthew 5. Uh, And if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, please take one of those with you. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hand. And so you can take that with you. That's our gift to you this morning. But as we get uh, started up this morning, let me just go to the Lord in prayer uh, for us as we open up His Word. So let's pray together. Father, this morning we come before you as a desperate people. Um, We may not know that we're a desperate people. Maybe some of us do. But the reality for every single person in this room this morning is that we are desperate. And we're desperate for you. We're desperate for your grace. We're desperate for your presence. We're desperate for your power. We're desperate for relationship with you. And some of us in this room have a relationship with you, and some of us don't. But even as we do have a relationship with you, we are desperate to be close to you this morning. And so I pray that as we open up your words, we look at another of Jesus' beatitudes and teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, I pray that in desperation we would hear from you and receive from you this morning what you have for us. And so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, that you would bring transformation and change for your glory and for our good. And we pray that in faith this morning, in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, one of the things I like to do, I like to do a lot of different things. We all have different things that we enjoy doing in life. But one of the things I like to do is eat. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I don't like to cook, uh, but I do like to eat. And so uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how to, to prepare good food, but I know good food when I see it and I taste it. And I, and I love my wife's cooking, which she fixes for our family. Uh, and I love going out to eat as well. And there's lots of places in and around this area uh, that offer good food to eat. And, you know, there's two types of people when it comes to going out to eat. There's, there's some of you that you go and you love changing things up, right? You go to a restaurant, you never order the same thing twice. You're, you're that person who asks the waiter what they recommend to eat. And you say, I'll go with that. I'll have that. There's those types of people. Then some of you in the room are the type of people that you go to a restaurant and you order the same thing every time because you know exactly what you want. And that's me. I'm that second person. I go to a restaurant, I order the same thing, generally speaking, every time because that's why I'm there. I want to eat that particular meal, and so I order the same thing. Coastal Flats. If I go to Coastal Flats, I love to go more often, but, you know, it's a little bit expensive. But when I go to Coastal Flats, crab cake and filet combo, that's where it's at. If I go to Payway, Payway spicy chicken, no scallions, white rice, that's what I get. Now, I can get wild and crazy sometimes, go to Sister's Thai, I might get Pad Thai, with chicken or Penang curry. So I get a little crazy with that one. Chick-fil-A, number five, 12-pack with lemonade, regular lemonade to drink. I know what I'm going to get. Duck donuts. You can get all kinds of things at duck donuts, but I just get chocolate icing with vanilla stripes on it, also called the zebra. It's good stuff. So that's, I know that. And you know, people say you are what you eat, so at least I know who I am. (laughs) 
But the reality is, for all of us in this room, we all have appetites, we all have desires, we all have things that we hunger for, and different foods that we like, different drink that we like, that we want and we enjoy. But something that's true for every single person in this room, whether we call ourselves Christians or don't, and that God's Word makes clear to us, is that all of us hunger and thirst for things. We all hunger and thirst for things. Maybe it's literal food, or maybe it's other things in life, and then we long to be satisfied. We long to be satisfied in the desires that we have, the things that we hunger and thirst after. And so today, as we continue in this sermon series, as we look at Jesus' teaching, as he's talking about his kingdom, we're going to see that Jesus tells us what it looks like, what it means for God's people in his inverted kingdom to have a hunger and a thirst for something. So I believe God is pressing on us in and through this series. We've only been in it a few weeks. But but we see God teaching us and challenging us and pressing on different things in our lives, especially if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. But even if you sit here this morning and you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe you've been hanging out with us for a few weeks. My hope is, is that God's pressing on you as well as he's offering what true life is to you in and through what Jesus tells us. So I'm hopeful this morning that God will continue to draw us closer to himself this morning and draw us deeper into his kingdom and away from the false kingdoms and promises that this world offers to us. So may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If you have your Bible and you haven't opened already, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is where we begin this sermon that Jesus is preaching. And so we're preaching a sermon on a sermon that Jesus has delivered to his disciples. And we're going to be focusing in on verse 6 this morning, but I want to begin reading in verse 1 through verse 6. This is what it says. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In this Sermon on the Mount, these Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we see King Jesus talking about his kingdom and what life looks like for his kingdom people. It's what life looks like when we follow after the king. So today, as we focus on verse 6, what I want to do is just break this sermon into six points as we walk through verse 6. And each of these six points, because this is just fun to do, all start with the letter P. All right, so this is the six points this morning. We're going to look at the person, the prospect, the problem, the provider, the pursuit, and the promise. So the first thing, the first point we have is the person. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So who is Jesus talking about here? Well, as we've walked through these last few weeks, we have to remember that Jesus is talking to kingdom people. What that means is he's talking to his disciples. This is the way of life for those who are close to the king. We saw in the beginning, end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, that his disciples have come close to him, to listen to him, to follow him. So this is what life is like. It's what's marked by when we live in the kingdom. It's a statement or description of God's kingdom people. So God's kingdom people are the ones who are hungry and thirsty people. Now there's a twofold element to this that we can't miss. It's very similar to what we saw in verse 3 when we saw that blessed are the poor in spirit. 
the people who have come to follow Jesus. In chapter 4, we saw that he called a few particular people to himself. He called, he called Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they, they left everything to follow Jesus, literally walked away from everything to follow him. And, and all those that are with him at this point have left everything to follow after Jesus. And so we saw they literally are, are literally and physically, materially poor. They don't have anything. So at the very same time then, it's likely that they're literally and physically hungry and thirsty. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from as they've begun to follow Jesus. See, something we can see that we have to note in this that we'll see throughout this series is that God's kingdom people are not made up of elites. And that's a challenge for us in this area because so many people in this area have a lot of things. Many of us in this room have a lot. Compared to the rest of the world, we'd be considered elite. But God's kingdom people are not made up of elites, not then, not now. They're often made up of the destitute because it's the destitute that understand their true desperation and are most aware of their greatest need, a rescuer, a savior, a king. It was true in Jesus' day and we see it in our world today. As we look around at the global family of God, we recognize that many who call on the name of Christ, who follow Jesus as king, have very little. But have you ever really been really hungry, really thirsty, like you, you, you're like, man, I have got to get something to eat. I've got to get something to drink. This past week, uh, I went to a concert with, uh, with my friend Alex Diver. You guys know, maybe know Alex. And we went to this concert on, on uh, Wednesday night. It was at the Fillmore in Silver Spring, and it was with a band called Under Oath. And some of you may not know who Under Oath is, and that's okay. You probably won't like them. Uh, they, scream, they scream a lot when, they, when, they're, when they're playing music. It's a pretty rowdy kind of show. And so we, we were up close, up front. There's tons of people packed in. It's hot. People are going all over the place. We're screaming and yelling and going crazy for like three hours. And so, I mean, my Fitbit's going crazy. It's like I hit my 10,000 steps just by being at the show. My heart rate's up. I burn like 500 calories. So you don't need to go to the gym. Just go to Under Oath shows and you'll burn some calories. But anyway, we got done with the show and we're leaving. It's about 1030, 1045 at night. And we're walking out of the Fillmore and there's places to eat all around there, but they're all closed. We're like, man, Chick-fil-A is right around the corner. A milkshake sounds awesome right now. Closed. Potbelly closed. All the restaurants, everything along that way was all closed and we just wanted something to drink. I mean, we'd been yelling and singing and screaming and, and just tired and hot the whole time. So our, our throats are a little bit sore. We're parched. We just are longing for something to drink. And everywhere we go is not open. We even go into the bathroom to see if there's a water fountain there. Nothing there. And so finally we're just like, well, hey, let's just find like a 7-Eleven or something around here. So pull out the phone, look up 7-Eleven. There's like three or four 7-Elevens within two miles of the Fillmore. So we drive down the street, go to 7-Eleven, get some Gatorade. We're good to go. See, I think the reality is for most of us, the moment we feel thirsty, we can really want something to drink, but it's really easy for us to find something to drink. Maybe as simple as walking to the refrigerator or Googling 7-Eleven on your phone. And this is part of the reason I think this text is really difficult for us to understand here in America and certainly in Northern Virginia. Because we struggle to know what real hunger and real thirst are. But many of God's global people understand hunger and thirst so that when Jesus talks about it in this way, when he says, blessed are those of you that hunger and thirst, they are, they are able to personally relate to that. that. They're not sure where their next meal is going to come from. They have to walk miles to go get clean water 
So when Jesus says this to them, when he says those of you that hunger and thirst, they're tuned in, they're listening to what Jesus has to say. But for most of us, we don't really know what that's like. We say things like, I'm starving, but usually what that means is we just haven't had a substantial something to eat since breakfast. Not that we haven't had something substantial to eat in days or weeks. So for us in this room this morning, myself included, to really grasp the gravity of what Jesus is teaching and telling us this morning, we have to try our best to place ourselves in a place of real hunger, of real thirst, of real want. We need to be a desperate people. But see, what Jesus does here is a little bit of a play on words, like he's done throughout these first few verses. Many of his kingdom people are literally hungry and thirsty, but what marks his true kingdom people is not their physical needs. Jesus isn't saying you're blessed just because you're physically physically hungry or physically thirsty. No, he's saying there's a deep hunger, a deep thirst for something else, which leads to our next point. So we have the people who are hungry and thirsty, but what are they hungry and thirsty for? What's the prospect? What are God's kingdom people hungry and thirsty for? Well, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for food, not for drink, but for righteousness. So what in the world does that mean? What does this word righteousness mean? It's a, a, a word that we hear in church language. Maybe if you've been around the church for a while, we, we talk about righteousness. So what does that actually mean? Well, in the original language that this was written in, this word can be translated a bunch of different ways. It can be righteous or righteousness or just or justice or justified. It's the same word in different forms that can be translated in all those different ways into English. So it could mean declared righteous. Blessed are those who hunger to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous means that you and I, as unholy people, as people who have sin, are declared right before a holy God. God is holy. He is completely righteous. He's completely pure without sin. And so for you and I to be declared righteous, that means that God looks at us and says, you are okay. You are righteous. And that's, that's a biblical concept. That's the core of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do for us, is to purchase righteousness for us and give it to us. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I think what Jesus is talking about here is righteous behavior, doing God's will. So we could say God's kingdom people are people who are marked by a hunger and a thirst, a deep longing to do God's will. Remember, Jesus is talking to kingdom people. He's talking to disciples who've already come close to him. They've left everything to follow him. If you hear that word discipleship, that's really what it means. It means that we're, we've left everything, we've renounced everything to follow after Jesus. We're willing to walk away from everything to follow Jesus. So Jesus is speaking to people who already have faith in him. They already have a faith in Jesus. So kingdom people are people who are hungry and thirsty people, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for a life and a lifestyle that's in conformity to God's will, that's in conformity to God's justice and God's law and God's morality. The kingdom people... Jesus is speaking to are people whose lives have already been radically impacted by Jesus. As they've come close to the king, everything's changed for them. They had their fishing business, they walked away from it, and Jesus radically transformed their lives. People who have walked away from all kinds of things, and Jesus has radically transformed their lives. Everything has changed for them. 
So Jesus is saying these are people who long now to see God's standards obeyed in every area of their life and every area of the world. But I want us to be careful here for a moment because I think there's been a massive issue in the American church. A massive issue in the church. And the issue is is that we've lost sight of the king and instead we've elevated rules and regulations and law and morality to the place where Jesus should be. And so we're more concerned with checking boxes. We're more concerned with conforming to an image that we've created, not the image of Jesus. We've placed something else in the place of the king. And so in the church, we can talk about pursuing righteousness. We can talk about living lives that are pleasing to God. But upon closer inspection, we realize that it's not really the righteousness of the righteous king. It's false. It's fake. Have you ever gone and you've seen uh, maybe a facade of a house and from a distance it looks okay, but when you get closer and you, you start poking the house, you realize there's rotted wood. It looks good on the outside, but as you poke through it, it's really nothing of substance there. And I think oftentimes in the American church, that's the reality of what we've done. We've called something righteousness, but it's really not righteousness at all. Because we can subtly believe and subtly teach, maybe overtly teach, that it's really about just being a good person doing good things, and that that's why God accepts us. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. God's kingdom people are people who seek to obey the voice of their king, who hunger and thirst after living in a righteous ways, in his righteous ways, not to gain something from God, not to earn his love, but because he has already placed his covenant love on them. He's already placed his love on them. It's something he purposed to do before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 tells us that. That God, before the very foundation of the world, purposed to adopt you into his family, to call you his son, to call you his daughter, to bring you close to him. He placed his love on you in and through Christ. So hungering and thirsting after righteousness comes as a product of faith in the only righteous one, King Jesus See, this is a mark of those who have already come close to the king. It's not the way that we come close to the king. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness comes because when our eyes are opened to the glorious goodness of the king and his kingdom, we see that Jesus is better. That his way of living, his rule, is not only better, but it's actually life to us. And I want to say that here. I want to be really clear and sure that we understand that hungering and thirsting after righteousness is not hungering and thirsting after legalism. And legalism is just saying that we're, we're checking a box, we're offering something to God, we're bringing something to Him, thinking that it's out of our obedience that God accepts us. But that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus came to do. Because Jesus is King, now we can walk in obedience to Him. See, it's a deep desire not to check boxes, but to be like Jesus. So righteousness here is a pattern of life that conforms to God's will in all parts of your life. And it's here that we can blow this up even more. We can see it written large over not just our personal lives, but over the world around us. It's not just about personal piety or personal holiness. That's not just what Jesus is concerned here. It includes that, but it's so much more than that. See, God's kingdom people are people who hunger and thirst for their hearts and their lives to be aligned with Jesus. So what that means is that we also long to see things like oppression and brokenness around us transformed and changed. 
We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that as we look through this teaching of Jesus, that we have to look at it on different levels, a personal level and a community level and a society level and a cosmic level. And so when we come close and we hunger for thirst and righteousness, we hunger that not just for our own lives, but in our community and in our, in our world around us, in our city and our society and all over creation. That means the people Jesus is talking about, his kingdom people, care about personal character. They care about personal conduct that pleases God, that gives worship to him. But they also are people that care about the things that are near and dear to the heart of God. They, they care about loving one another. They care for one another. They, they seek to show mercy to those in need. They seek to operate in integrity and with ethics in the business and corporate world. Social justice and liberation from oppression and slavery are important to them. Civil rights for all people are something they fight for. The eradication of racism in this country is something that they long for and fight after. They fight for the sanctity of human life, not only in the unborn, but also the lives of African-American men and women in our culture and our society. See, this isn't about being more religious or anti-religious. The people of Jesus, that Jesus is describing, are people who want the character of the kingdom, not only in their own lives, but all around their world. They long for that to take place. And the reason they long for that because they've come close to the king and they've experienced his goodness and they've experienced his grace and they know that Jesus and his ways are better. But there's a problem, which is our third point and our third P. So we have the people and we have the prospect, but we also have a problem. And the problem is twofold for most of us. See, first, for most of us, we don't know true longing in the sense that Jesus is talking about. We don't have desperation for walking in the way of Jesus. We're okay with what I call apple pie Christianity. It looks good, it smells good, it tastes good, but it isn't good for you. And we've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, but we don't understand the call of Christ on our whole life. The fullness of the life that he promises to give us as we come close to him. See, the kingdom call of King Jesus is a call to renounce the ways of the world and to embrace the way of the king. Because in him and him alone is life now and forever. But I think oftentimes you and I have been duped. We've been told that all you need to do is say a prayer or walk down an aisle and you're good to go. It's just about being saved from your sin and that's it. But when we say that, when we believe that, we miss out on what Jesus is truly offering to us. It isn't simply an exoneration of our guilty record. It's a renewal of your whole life. It's not a pass on your mistakes. It's a transformation of your heart and your soul. It isn't moving your name from the guilty list to the forgiven list or the naughty list to the nice list. It's coming close to the king and being welcomed into his eternal kingdom now and forever. See, Jesus is offering us life as we walk with him and near him. Not by way of a head nod in his direction. Like, well, yeah, Jesus, you're good. I'll, I'll check you out later. But through a deep hungering and thirsting for more of him and more of his ways. And the reality is, as we hunger and thirst for more of him, we realize how much more hungry and thirsty we are for him. But because many of us don't know this kind of longing, most of us also, in our longing, long for something else then. The world, Sojourn, is ready to offer you things. It's ready to offer you things to be hungry and thirsty for. 
And in offering you those things to be hungry and thirsty for, it's ready to tell you how to be satisfied in your hunger and your thirst. It could be anything. Relationships, sex, money and nice things, jobs and status. It'll place anything in front of you saying, this is it. This is what you need to hunger for. This is what you need to thirst for. And this is how you can be satisfied. But these things, not all of them are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but none of them will satisfy you. None of them will satisfy. We're offered ultimate satisfaction. Ultimate satisfaction. Life and freedom in the kingdom of God, but we oftentimes settle for lesser things. We are too easily satisfied by the offerings of this world. If I had my neighbor over for dinner, and I, and I wanted to bless, uh, bless my neighbor. We have a neighbor we're pretty close with that lives behind us. Uh, she's a single mom. And if I had her over for dinner and just said, we want to make a great dinner for you. We're going to have nice steak, filet, cooked perfectly, good sides, nice choice beverage, whatever it is. Maybe it's iced tea. Maybe it's a glass of wine, whatever it is. And we're just, we're going to set this deal up for you. It's going to be awesome. And she comes in and she smells it and she sees it. And it looks amazing and it's cooked perfectly, grilled perfectly. But she looks at it and says, you know what? I think I'd rather eat the grass clippings in your yard. That, that sounds good to me. I'll be right back. And she walks out and she just starts eating grass clippings in my yard when there's this steak dinner sitting on the table. That's what it's like often for us when we hunger and thir- thirst and seek to be satisfied with anything besides the righteousness that comes in and through the kingdom of God. And when we hunger and thirst after something other than righteousness, what happens to us then is we end up like the pirates of the Caribbean. Maybe you guys have seen the first movie, The Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Captain Barbosa is standing there and he's speaking to, to, uh, to the girl and he says this to her about the story of the treasure that they found. Maybe you haven't seen the movie, but just listen to what he says because I think it hits the nail on the head. Buried on an island of the dead, what cannot be found except for those who know where it is, find it we did. There be the chest, inside be the gold. And we took them all. We spin them and traded them and frettered them away on drink and food and pleasurable company. But the more we gave them away, the more we came to realize that drink would not satisfy, food turned to ash in our mouths, and all the pleasurable company in the world cannot slake our lust. We are cursed men, Miss Turner. Compelled by greed we were, but now we are consumed by it. See, I don't think we need Captain Barbosa to tell us this. The Scripture says the same thing. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17 says, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 20. Isaiah is speaking to the person who pursues false worship of a false god, who who hungers and thirsts after things that aren't truly God which is anything and anyone besides Jesus. And Isaiah says, he, that person, feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself. See, it's the deadly delusion of false pursuits and things that will never satisfy you. It's hungering and thirsting after unrighteousness instead of the righteous way of the king and his kingdom. And this is true whether you're a Christian or aren't. Because we all have appetites, and all of us seek to be satisfied. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, the reality for you, if this is you, if this is hitting you right now, is that you've forgotten the goodness of God that's offered to you. You've tasted and seen that God is good, but it's become a distant memory to you. Or maybe what you've done is you've 
pursued a bit of righteousness and you've pursued a bit of the world. You think those things can mix together okay. For me, I know I can find myself seeking after comfort. I want life to be easy. I want things to come easy. I, I seek after power, or control, or security in a bank account. But all of that's false. It'll never ultimately satisfy. And if you're not a Christian, the reality for you is you haven't yet tasted the goodness of God. You haven't yet tasted the goodness of the King and His kingdom, but He offers it to you even now. See, when you hunger and thirst after things other than the righteous way of King Jesus, everything you pursue, one pastor says, turns to ashes in your hands. And the thrill of lust leaves the sediment of guilt and loneliness. But in that is a clue for you and me. And that's a clue for you and me. It's God's gift to you when those things turn to ash in your hands or in your mouth because it shows you that you're made for something different. There's a deep longing that you have that can be satisfied by someone else. And that's the truth Jesus is speaking to us. This pastor goes on to say, the hunger and the thirst of your life that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world is the constant beckoning of God to remember that you were made for another world You were made for God. See, Sojourn, the world offers you cups and plates, things to eat and drink, but they're all empty. The reality is the more you eat and drink what the world offers you, the more it will leave you more empty than you were before. And I think you know what I'm talking about because you've tried it. See, we all have a grumbling stomach, but there's only one who can fill it, which leads to our fifth point, the provider. The provider in Psalm, chapter 107, Psalm 107, verses 4 through 9, the psalmist writes this. Just listen to this and place yourself in this story as he tells this story. Some, and really this is probably true of all of us, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress and he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So he's the provider of the provision that we all so desperately need and cannot find in anything else, anyone else, or anywhere else. We can only hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can only be satisfied by righteousness when we cry out to the Lord of righteousness in our trouble and we look to Him to be satisfied. That's what repentance means. It's another word we throw around in the church oftentimes, repent or repentance, but this is a picture of repentance. It's a coming to the, to the end of yourself and recognizing everything you've tried does not satisfy you, but you, what you can do in that place of desperation is cry out to the Lord, the Lord of righteousness who can satisfy you. See, those who hunger for righteousness are satisfied when the righteous king offers to give them his righteousness in exchange for their unrighteousness. Another pastor says true disciples live not only renouncing their own rights, but even renouncing their own righteousness. Because true followers of King Jesus recognize that they have no righteousness of their own. See, true followers of King Jesus should not be marked by any aspect, even any inkling of self-righteousness. Because they come face to face with the king. As they draw close to him, they recognize that they have nothing, but he has everything. 
And in their pursuit of life, that life comes through the righteous king. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. They find their yes in Jesus. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Sojourn, apart from him, you can do nothing. And I want to make sure you're listening this morning, whether you call yourself a follower of Christ or not, because I want you to hear an invitation that I give to you now. And this comes from God's word. And the recognition that we have to have this morning is that all of life is one of life, a life of repentance and faith. Whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, I want you today to repent and place your faith in Jesus. So listen to this invitation from King Jesus to you. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Listen to what he says here. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. and Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Do you hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you today? He's saying, come to me. Come to me to be satisfied. Come to me because life and righteousness are found in me alone. 1 Peter 2.24 is a gospel snapshot for us. He says, He, meaning Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. See, King Jesus can make this invitation to you this morning because He went to a cross and He died a sacrificial death. He paid for your unrighteous pursuits and your unrighteous ways. By his wounds, you've been healed. And he meets you in the midst of your false pursuits. He comes to you to find you, to seek you out, to change your heart, to change your affections, to change your appetite, to change your life. So that instead of hungering and thirsting for things that will turn to ash, you can now hunger and thirst for righteousness and be satisfied. That is grace to you. It's amazing, amazing grace. He has come and he will come again. And he is Lord, so come close to him and follow him today and see your life conform to his ways and his will for your good. Maybe you need to do that for the first time today. Remember what Jesus is teaching and telling you this morning is not good advice, it's good news to you. It's what real life looks like and where it's found. So what are we to do with that? That leads to our fifth point, the pursuit. So we have the people and the prospect, the problem, the provider, And now the pursuit. So let me ask you this morning, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing right now? What are you hungering and thirsting for in your life right now? Where and how are you looking to be satisfied? Remember. Remember as you think about that. What are you hungering after? Remember you are what you eat. You are what you eat. So what is it you're looking to be satisfied by? See, the kingdom of God is wherever the king is ruling And for God's kingdom, his rule and reign are for here and now, not for later. When Jesus is king, we pursue him and his kingdom and his righteousness, both in our lives and in our world. We we pursue him in all of life, submitting our thoughts and our actions and our will and our desires to him because he's good. We fight for what our king fights for. We care about what our king cares about. 
So this means we don't simply mourn over past sin in our lives, in our world. We, we long for, we hunger for future righteousness in our life and in our world. So as kingdom people, we have a kingdom-mindedness on a personal level. We have a kingdom-mindedness in our community as a church. We have a kingdom-mindedness in our society, in our city, in our nation. We have a kingdom-mindedness for all of God's creation as we await the return of our King. So for you and I then, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, if we're a part of God's kingdom, what that means for us is we don't hide in a corner. We don't just chill and rest in a Christian subculture and we certainly aren't called to be culture police. We go around criticizing, condemning those who are not following the king. No, we run out and we offer ourselves, our hands and our feet, our hearts, our lives, our resources. We give of ourselves to bring about justice and righteousness to the community and the society around us, to see the kingdom of God break into the broken down world that we live in. As one pastor says, Deep and lasting satisfaction for our souls comes not from the delights of the world, nor from a merely religious or vertical relationship with God. Satisfaction comes from God to those whose passion in life is to know Him in the struggle and to be like Him in the world. Which leads to our last point, the promise. Jesus tells us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that come by, in, and through the righteous king will be satisfied. That's an amazing promise for you and me this morning. But this satisfaction doesn't come by way of accolades. It doesn't come by way of hookups or getting some kingdom swag. Right? Like we got our t-shirt that says we went to Jesus' kingdom. Like, look, mom, I've, I've been there. No, that's not, what, that's not what he's talking about being satisfied. It's not a pat on the back. It's not a plaque to hang on your wall. It's not a trophy to put on your shelf. No, to be satisfied is to be satisfied with more righteousness. The reward and satisfaction come by and through our continual pursuit of the righteous one, of the way of Jesus. When we walk in the way of the king and his kingdom, then that means we have peace, even when life is difficult. Maybe you've had those moments, you've, you've sought to be obedient, you've sought to come close to the king, to follow in the way of Jesus, and it hasn't turned out great for you from the way the world would look at it, but you have peace because you know you're walking close to Jesus. There's satisfaction in that. When we run the race that is before us, we feel the pleasure of God. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're satisfied now because what happens is we experience more and more freedom from the things that so easily entangle us and drag us down that's amazing news to us. See, God meets us here. He meets us here. And oftentimes for you and for me, it's through difficulty and discipline that we come to realize that we're truly desperate. And it's in those moments that we can actually be satisfied as we come close to Jesus. But at this very same time, we also know that here and now, that as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we're not fully and ultimately satisfied because as we hunger for more of Jesus, we recognize we're just going to continue to hunger for more of him. We want to be close to him. We still find ourselves in a broken life, in a broken world that is not fully brought back together again. Because ultimate satisfaction will come when the king comes again. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's in the new heavens and the new earth that all that will be will be righteousness. Because the king and his kingdom have come in fullness and are brought to completion. 
And that's our hope and that's our promise. But until that day, let us hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing that life is found in Jesus and Him alone. All of us are a hungry and thirsty people. So what are you hungry and thirsty for right now? If it isn't Jesus and His kingdom, let that be your first pursuit. And if it is Jesus and His kingdom, then continue to listen to His voice, follow Him, and be about the business of your King. Lots of things that we buy in this life, lots of things that we gather in this life say to us, satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. But the reality is every single one of those things will either end up in the sewer, the trash heap, or a cemetery. Only Jesus can truly offer us satisfaction that's guaranteed because he's risen and he's alive and he's reigning and ruling now and forever. He's the one who was and is and is to come. So we can trust in him because he's faithful and he's good and he's alive forevermore. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. To that we can say amen. As you come to the table this morning, you're going to come to participate in a meal. And in this meal, let it be a reminder to you and a means of grace to you. Because it's a meal that in some ways satisfies It satisfies because it reminds you that Jesus came living a perfectly righteous life and he died a substitutionary death on your behalf. As one rap artist says, he said, God had standards that we couldn't meet, so he said a stand-in for us. And that's Jesus. And so as you come this morning, you're reminded this morning that Jesus stood in your place. He took on the sin of the world, your sin. He gave you his righteousness. And so as you eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, knowing that Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you, you can be satisfied in that. But the reality is it's not fully satisfying to us as well because it isn't Jesus and it isn't with Jesus. But what that does is it points us this morning, it reminds us about the one who does satisfy and it gives us hope that he will come again and he'll bring you to his table to eat and drink in the fullness of his kingdom. He is the bread of life that as you eat, you never will be hungry again. He's the living fountain that you might drink and never be thirsty again. He's the lamb of God who's taken on the sin of the world. So this morning, follower of Jesus, let me suggest two things to you this morning. Maybe first you just need to sit and hang out in your seat. Maybe this is hitting you right between the eyes or more importantly, right in your heart. And before you come to the table, just to confess where you've been hungering and thirsting after other things besides Jesus. But then come to the table and eat and drink and be reminded it's through Christ that you can be satisfied. So come to the table, eat and drink and may God meet you here and compel you by his loving kindness, compel you by his grace to follow your king all of your days and in all of your ways until he comes again. But for those of you this morning that are not followers of Christ, let me just say to you this morning, I just want to ask you not to come forward to the table. And the reason for that is because this doesn't do anything for you if you don't yet know Jesus. So I want to suggest two things for you this morning if you don't call yourself a follower of Christ. First, just consider hanging out in your seat and praying and asking God to reveal himself to you. But maybe you find yourself right now saying, I've hungered and thirsted after a lot of things, but it hasn't been Jesus. And today I want Jesus. And so we've got two guys that are going to be standing in the back. 
Will, who was up here this morning, and another guy named Tom, they're going to be standing towards those back doors this morning. And so when, when people are getting up and they're coming to take the bread and the juice, I just want to invite you to respond this morning. If you find yourself saying, I, I, I want Jesus, I, I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I, I want Jesus, would you take a step of faith this morning and get up out of your seat and just go back and talk with them? They'd love to talk with you about what that means. And that's what this church is here for. We want you to know Jesus, and I want you to know him today. So take that step of faith. Turn away from what you've been hungering and thirsting after and hunger and thirst after the King of Kings. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or go to the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father, this morning, my prayer is the same as it was when we started. But you make us a desperate people. We are desperate, but oftentimes we don't know it. Father, this morning, would you make us a desperate people that we would hunger and thirst for Jesus and not the things this world offers us, that we'd hunger and thirst for his ways and not our own. Father, would you help us by the power of your spirit to be a kingdom-minded people in our own personal lives but in the world around us. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.